Good. Well, it's so good to be in church today, and uh, I'm really excited. We're being joined by Darby and Sheffield uh, live in this service. We're also being joined online. We now have two online times. We have 11 o'clock where it's live, and then we restream again at 2.30. And so um, if you're watching online, you're very welcome. But also, I uh, just want to say, if you're in any of our locations today, and this is your first time, we want to give you a huge welcome. So come on, why don't we welcome... Every person in Icon Church for the first time. And let me just say, in all our locations, what we love to do is we, we love to create space for growth. Here in Chesterfield, we, we used to have the children in the first part of the service and the children's workers, but we, uh, we, we do full service children's work so that we can create space for growth. And so you'll find in all our locations, we've got room to grow. And that's intentional. And that's intentional because you've got friends, I've got friends, we've all got friends, we've relatives, colleagues, people that we want to see find Jesus. And so be sure to be a bringer and inviter into God's house. Are you ready for God's Word? You can take your seats uh, as we get into it this morning. I'm really excited about a couple of things. I'm excited about revival nights. And like Jane, I'm not going to say too much more about them. Um, But they're going to be different nights. We're doing, I think, four of those um, starting next week. And then in a couple of weeks' time, this new series, You Are Not the Underdog. And all I will say about this is that for three weeks, we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath and we, are going, and we will tell the story of David and Goliath like you've never heard, like you've never heard. We're not making it up. We're not going to change it. But you're actually, you know, there's been some real studies into that that you're going to be impressed by or amazed by or spoken to by uh, whatever. But back to today. Apprentice, our sermon series that we've been in for three weeks. And I think a few weeks ago, I shared that this came out of a leaders training day where, you know, we got our leaders or some of our leaders together as a church and we asked the question, what's the win? Which can seem a strange question uh, for a church to ask. What's the win? But, you know, if we were a sports team, we'd know the win would be more goals or more points than the other team. But what's the win? And we came up with these three thoughts. And we've got a graphic that'll come behind me. And the three things are this. People finding Jesus. That's a win for us. People finding Jesus. People following Jesus. And uh, people leading like Jesus. And so for three weeks... Uh, We've been talking in this series, Apprentice, about those things. People finding Jesus. The idea that he invites us to be with him. People following Jesus, that he teaches us to be like him. And then this week, we're going to focus on leading like Jesus, that he empowers us to do what he does. And we called the series Apprentice because that's uh, the, the word that best describes what a disciple is in the modern era. You know, if you, if you say disciple, people don't really understand that in the modern era, but we understand apprentice. And uh, I remember a few months ago, I was uh, Saturday morning in a coffee shop and I had to sit next to this uh, lady. And, uh, you know, I always pray when I have to sit next to somebody. And my prayer is a prayer I shouldn't pray. And it was, uh, Lord, please don't let them be a talker. Uh, does anybody else pray prayers they shouldn't pray? But I prayed that prayer, but she was a talker. And God has a lot of fun not answering that prayer. And so she asked me, what do you do? And I told her I was a pastor, I was a church minister and a church leader. And she said, well, what's that? 
So what do you do? And, I, and then I began to tell her and, and I didn't feel like I explained it very well. And as I'm driving home, I thought, do you know what? I didn't explain that very well. Actually, what I said is not really what I do because what I do is make disciples. I encourage people to follow Jesus. And so I encourage people to be apprentices of Jesus. And this morning, I want to encourage us to lead like Jesus and to realise that He asks us to be with, uh, with Him. He teaches us to be like Him, but He also empowers us to do what He does. So I want to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, to get us going this morning. Matthew chapter 4. Did I catch it? Yes, I caught it. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. And it says this. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people, or I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets at once and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And they left the boat and their father and they followed him. I used the phrase in there, fishers of men, um, because that was, phrase was a first century idiom for a great teacher. That actually a fisher of men was somebody who was seen to be a great teacher. So effectively, Jesus was saying to the disciples, to those he was calling fishermen in this case, he was saying, I'm a great teacher. I'm going to make you a great teacher as well. And that's why people like Simon and James and John and Simon's brother Andrew, they left their nets because Jesus was offering them a different path in life. Jesus was offering them a different way forward. But we see in that phrase straight away, this idea of apprentice, where Jesus says, I'm a great teacher. I can make, come with me, follow me, and I can make you a teacher also. You can become an apprentice. And I think when we talk about this idea today, lead like Jesus, Jesus empowers us to do what he does. You, you might say, well, what me? You might think, well, I'm not a leader. You know, I, that, I, I'm not somebody who's a leader. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I want to know him and I want to be with him. But I'm not really called to be a leader. But I want to suggest it's impossible not to influence others when you become a follower of Jesus. Because when you and I spend time with Jesus and when he teaches us to be like him, that actually impacts the lives of other people. As, uh, you know, I said in the first service this morning, 915 service, I said we are like a divine sneeze. That when, when we have spent time with Jesus and he has taught us to be like him, he actually, we're sent out and wherever we go, we actually have an impact. Even if we're not good at talking, not good at explaining, we don't feel confident in our faith. The things that God does in our lives rubs off on the people around us. It's impossible not to be like him. We see in these verses that when Jesus calls the disciples, some are really keen. It says about Peter 
and Andrew and James and John that immediately they left their nets. It says of James and John that they left their father Zebedee and their fishing business to follow Jesus. What we do know is that Zebedee and his wife and that whole family actually become followers of Jesus later on. They all become part of his wider, wider group of disciples. But not everybody was that enthusiastic. Not everybody left where they were to follow Jesus with such enthusiasm. For example, if we turn to John chapter 12, it'll come on the screen, verses 42 to 43. It says this, it says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What about the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19? Jesus gives him the same invitation. Come follow me, I'll make you fishes of men. The man comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, follow me. But in that moment, Jesus also says to him, these disciples have left their nets and chosen this life as an apprentice. You need to leave your wealth and become my apprentice. And Matthew chapter 19 says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Some people become enthusiastic. They leave everything. They step out very, uh, you know, quickly to follow Jesus, like Peter and, and James and John and Andrew. And then others are more reluctant. Some say no. And Jesus gives that invitation to all kinds of people, to every person, I believe, follow me and become my apprentice. And when we follow him, we come, we're with him and we become like him. We make a difference in the lives of those around him. I, I love that. And I love that idea because when I think about so many people in our church, in Icon Church, who have this heart. They have this heart to know Jesus, to, to grow and to become like him and then to serve others and to actually have an impact in other people's lives. They, they serve sometimes in church. They, they want to serve in church because they can see the impact that has and children's work with worship has or whatever has, welcoming people into the life of church, serving some area of church because they've got that desire to, to lead like Jesus and impact others. But you know, all of us, we serve people through our jobs, through our careers, through what we do. We, we are, we're like, as I said, that divine sneeze that we come together, we, we are gathered together and God, we worship God, we're in His presence, we hear His Word and God refreshes us and renews us and then He sends us out and we land in all kinds of different places on a Monday. We land in our families, we land in our careers, we land in our jobs and we're that divine virus that's a good virus that can make a difference in people's lives. I, when I think about people in our church, I just think of how much God does through individual people and how much God is at work. Recently in our first advance session, I was sat on a table. It's a, an advance is a meeting for business and professional leaders. And I was uh, sat on a table and I, one of the ladies from our Derby location, Anna Marie, she was telling me about the work that she does. I'd met her before, but... I'd never had a chance for her to talk to me and tell me exactly about what she does, but she is so intrinsically involved 
in caring for children in the fostering area in the city of Derby. She was telling me about all these committees and groups that she sits on and the massive influence that she has as one individual in the city of Derby. I think that's incredible. It's that, it's that divine virus that God sends out into a place. I think about people in our church who have started companies with this idea, with this thought. I think about Mark and Fiona Sheik who come to our Chesterfield location and they started a company, uh, I think about five years ago, called Hope Attachment, which deals with children um, uh, who, who are suffering in education in different areas and, and working with them. And the incredible work of caring for families, support supporting families, helping children who have uh, challenges in their life. I think about Andy and Kirsty Ball in Sheffield who are just launching a new charity to actually educate people in areas affected by war. It's incredible. You see, I think it's impossible to follow Jesus and not capture that heart for other people, not capture that heart to have influence. It doesn't mean you have to leave your job. It doesn't mean you have to change your career or change your location, but it does mean that God will change your heart and change your approach. You will have a desire wherever you are, wherever you work, whatever sphere you work in, to do your very best so that people flourish, so that your company flourishes, so that God has an impact through you. You know, when I think about that, what, what people in Icon Church do on a weekly basis, it's astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing. And we must always remember the church is people. It's not all the organisation. Sometimes people think, well, the church might should do this or the church should do that. But the church is not the organisation, it's people. If you're doing it, the church is doing it. You know, people come and they're refreshed. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They come and they get rid of the rubbish that the weak puts on them. And they worship God and they make declarations like, I've seen you move. You move the mountain and I believe you do it again. And then they get sneezed out into their world on a Monday morning. The church is not an organisation. It's people. And God empowers us as his people to do what he does. I was thinking about somebody else this week too who's got a new job and, and they've got a new job in a big company and it's a significant position. And one of their first jobs, their first projects is to tackle the whole area of payday loans. The thought that somebody in our church is tackling that societal issue is just phenomenal. You know what it is? It's somebody who's been in God's house. They've been faithful to God's house. They've served God's house. They've got filled up with the, the virus of the kingdom of God and God has sneezed them out. You know, I'm not going to move away from this illustration. He's blown them out. A better way to say it is he's breathed us out into our world. I think God makes this invitation to all of us. Everyone. And some respond straight away like we saw those disciples did. Others are reluctant like the rich young ruler. And then some accept the invitation, but they don't have it all together. And I resemble that remark. I think Peter, James, John, Andrew, they all resembled that remark as well. But I was thinking of one guy particularly called Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector and so people hated him. Because Matthew was seen to be in league with Rome. I mean, he was taking taxes for the Romans from his fellow Jews. Not only was he taking taxes 
from Rome and being paid by the Romans to do it, he was also creaming a bit off the top. I mean, he wasn't like Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. I mean, Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, he had the big villa, he had the infinity pool, where he's, you know, every, I mean, he was rolling in it. I mean, man, he was, he was the Jay-Z of Galilee or wherever he, he lived. <laughs> he was just, you know, if he was a songwriter, he would be writing songs about, I made my first billion. Um, but that, again, that's a Jay-Z um, reference. But Matthew was a very wealthy man. And in Matthew chapter 9 and verses 9 to 13, Jesus comes to him. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. He left his life of collecting taxes, creaming off the top to follow Jesus. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, some translations and some... uh, Uh, people who tell this story talk about that while he was having dinner at Matthew's house was that Matthew threw a party for Jesus and while Jesus was at a party at Matthew's house many tax collectors and sinners came because that's who comes to parties right and ate with him and his disciples when the Pharisees saw this they asked his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus calls Matthew and Matthew comes, but Matthew's not got it all together. He's been in league with the Romans. He's got his own problems, but he followed him. And I resemble that remark. I've not got it all together, but I have got a desire to be with Jesus, to learn, to follow Jesus, and to have an influence on others. Well, there's Matthew's party, but then at the end of that chapter, we are reminded why he's doing this. Why is he spreading this invitation? Why is he asking all these people, those who were willing, those who were reluctant, those who haven't got it all together? We're told at the end of the chapter why Jesus is doing this in Matthew chapter 9. You see, he meets a woman at a well. It's called the, she's called the woman of Samaria. And Jesus interacts with her and she is so thrilled because he speaks to her life. He sets her free. She finds grace and forgiveness and love and kindness. She finds God's word speaking into her life. She finds that Jesus gives her a broken woman with a broken life. He gives her a brand new start. He says to her, you can start again. You can start again. You can recover from your past mistakes and you can start again in a relationship with God. And she goes back into the town and she says to the people, I need you to come. I need you to come and see this man. I think he's the Messiah, the one that we were talked about, the one that Moses promised would come to us. And they all come out. And the scriptures say this, Matthew chapter nine, verses 36 to 38. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The end of this chapter reminds us why Jesus is calling 
Matthew, why Jesus is calling Peter and Andrew and James and John. Because he can see there's a big harvest. There's a big harvest of people and there's few people. If you think about it back then in that year when Jesus is teaching this, the population, the world population, maximum would be 400 million. It's somewhere between 200 and 400. So let's go with the max number. 400 million people in the world. And Jesus says, look at the harvest. All these people in the world and yet the labourers are few. Today, there are 7 billion people. I wonder how much Jesus looks at that harvest field and says the fields are white to harvest, but the laborers are few. I need some apprentices. I need some workers. I need some people who I can send into my harvest. And the first thing, the first thing he does, the first place he turns, where does he turn for these apprentices? Where does he turn for these missionaries? He turns to those who are following him straight away. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then in verse seven, he says this to them, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. He gets his disciples, he gets those apprentices, those who were eager and those who didn't have it all together. And he says, now you go, now you go. And when you go, tell people the kingdom of heaven is here. Now you go realising that you've received this freely. Now give it out freely. Don't hold anything back. Don't hold it back. Give it out freely because you've received. He's saying to those disciples, you're up. And he's saying to us today that we're up. It's our time. You see, there's this pattern. Jesus teaches. He calls apprentices. That's us. To be with him and to become like him. And then he sends us out into our world. And he says, okay, now do what I did. Teach, pray, heal, influence. And this story in Matthew chapter 10 is Jesus gets his disciples and he says, you go here, Peter, Andrew, why don't you go up to this place, maybe Bethsaida. He gets uh, James and John, why don't you go into Capernaum. He gets Matthew and he says to Matthew, you go over there, Judas, you go to that place because you you like money, the offerings might be all right. There's rich people there. You know, I'm joking. And, And he just gets his disciples and he says, I want you to go and preach the kingdom of heaven is here. You've what you've received freely give it away and he sends them out and he says come back and tell me how you go and in this moment we see that Jesus is creating apprentices who will do what he did and he sends them out that's the end goal of Jesus calling us that's why Jesus asks us to be with him it's why Jesus asks us to be like him so that ultimately in some measure we'll be able to do what he did That's the goal of every apprentice. If you start an electrician apprenticeship, your goal is at the end of your apprenticeship, you will be able to rewire a house. If you become a junior doctor, you know, and and you have in the States, they call it a residency, don't they? They That you're on residency for so many years, you are learning as a surgeon, as a doctor. The goal is at the, the end of your training, you will be able to cut people open. You'll be able to do what your teacher 
he's showing you to do. Well, Jesus takes these men and women in his wider discipleship context and he says, I want you to do what I do. That's the end goal, to be like Jesus, to do what he did. Now, I don't want you to switch off because at this point when people think, well, do what Jesus did, well, I can't do that. I can't do that because Jesus was God. And that's a problem that we've got in the church because for 200 years, we've read the life of Jesus not as a template for what it means to be human in God's kingdom and filled with the Spirit, but we've read the life of Jesus as proof he was God. 200 years ago, roughly, there was a a movement called the Enlightenment. And in the Enlightenment, people said, right, there's no supernatural world. There's no miracles. They didn't happen. They don't exist. There's nothing that is a mystery, nothing that cannot be explained. And therefore, there is no God. And so we said in response to this, as this idea, this view got traction and people began to believe this idea and began to open up to this idea, yeah, that's true. Everything is explainable. There's no mystery and therefore there's no God. We said, wait, wait, wait. Well, just look at the miracles. But the problem with that argument is the disciples did miracles and they weren't God. I've seen miracles And I'm not God, just unless you're confused, by the way. I'm not God. No, Jesus did what he did as a fully-fledged human, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the kingdom of God. So how do we do what he did? How do we pray for people? How do we influence people? How do we pray and see people healed? How do we believe for those things in our life? I just want to... uh, give five quick applications this morning that help us to take this step or keep taking the step forward so that we are with him, we become like him, and then, and then we're able to do what he did. Great. Let's go for it. Number one, continue to grow and mature. Continue to grow and mature. Jesus took these disciples and they didn't have it all together. You just look at those disciples, some of the challenges, the challenges he's going to have with Peter, the challenges he's going to have with others in that group. But what they did do is they stuck around. You know, there was a moment where lots of, from the wider group of disciples, lots of people got upset with Jesus and they said, we're off, we're leaving. And Jesus turns to this group, this specific group of 12, and he says, are you going to leave as well? And they said, no, we're staying. We're staying. They continue to grow and mature. And I want to say to you, to, to, to do what Jesus did, to be with him, to be like him, it takes teaching. That's why you made a great choice to be in church today. Because it takes teaching. It takes relationship. It takes community. It takes time. It takes changing your attitude. It takes being filled with the Holy Spirit. It takes worship. It takes conflict sometimes in our lives to overcome and to go past and forgive and to move forward. It takes the renewing of our minds. I am convinced that there are ways that I think about things today that God doesn't think that way. But when I continue to give myself to mature and grow, it's a continual journey. Do you know when, like, I don't know at what age I'll I'll die, but I want up until my final breath to be reading and in church and, 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 and have this heart and this desire. There's more. I want to be saying that, you know, the moment before I pass away, the best is yet to come. I don't want to get to a place where I think that's it. That's my ceiling. I'm over. 
No, I want to keep moving, continue to move and grow. Maybe God did a massive work in your life at a young age and you have just flatlined. Well, it's time for you to start to grow again, to receive. You know, uh, I'm convinced we can keep growing. I'm convinced we can keep learning. I'm convinced that my faith can grow. I'm convinced that my boldness can grow. Our boldness can grow. I'm convinced that our attitude can change and we can become more like Jesus. Thanks for your enthusiasm. I could hear the amen in Sheffield and I could hear the amen in Derby. I just didn't hear it here. Anyway, I'm convinced that we can keep moving forward. Continue to grow and mature. Here's the second, know your stage of life. Can anybody remember these bracelets? WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? Can you remember those? They were big in the 80s and the 90s. WWJD bracelets. Which is a great idea. What would Jesus do? That's what it stood for. But the thing is, Jesus was a first century male rabbi. The only thing that applies to me in that statement is I'm male. I'm not a first century rabbi. So a better question would be, what would Jesus do if he were me? What would Jesus do if he were me? You see, I don't have Jesus' past. I don't have Jesus' upbringing. I don't have Jesus' context. I don't have Jesus' family. I don't have his responsibility. But I've got my past. I've got my upbringing. I've got my family. I've got my responsibility. I've got my work and my calling. And so the best question is, what would Jesus do if he were me? So know your stage of life, know where you are, don't compare. So many people compare themselves and they get disappointed because they're not somebody else. You weren't meant to be anybody else. Know who you are, know where you you are and let Jesus lead you to do what he would do. If he had your past, your family, your experiences, your disappointments, your challenges and your responsibility, know your stage of life. The third thing is don't underestimate the power of spiritual practices. Never underestimate the power of spiritual practices. In the book of Acts, it tells us that those first believers devoted themselves to a whole bunch of things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to gathering. You know, the Bible says that they met together every day in the temple courts. They devoted themselves to worship, to giving, to serving, to praying, to meals. They devoted themselves to forgiveness, to unity, to rest. They devoted themselves to these things. They were crazy about this, just being devoted to these practices of worship. In 1 Peter, actually, Peter, who was one of those early disciples, he kind of writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, where he's writing to people who are in a place where, uh, you know, they're being persecuted to their faith. And he writes this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners in exile to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans. By the way, pagans is not a derogatory term in the first century. Live, it's just those that don't believe. Live such good lives amongst the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, Peter says they're still going to accuse you of doing wrong. 
They're still going to find and persecute you. But though they accuse you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. You see, Peter's got this vision of a church that practices the way of Jesus together in such a way that people say, you've got something I don't have. You know, Nathan, my son, he talks um, a lot, actually, about um, his football. He often mentions he played with Jamie Vardy. I'll do it for him today. Um, But he talks about how he talks and tries to share his faith in that context. And he's he's found a way to do that, to be open about it. He even at one point had uh, them listening to Hillsong worship music in the uh, dressing rooms. That was the pre-match motivation. I think until they lost and then they said, get rid of all that spiritual nonsense. We need some better music. No, uh, but he's found a way to talk to his friends about that. And he shares about that a lot. One of those prayer requests this morning came as a text this morning. Can you pray for me today in this situation? One of the prayer requests here in Chesterfield that we had on our screen, and I'm sure you could see them maybe if you were watching in Sheffield and Derby, and certainly if you were online. Because people see our lives, and they say, you've got something I don't have. And so even though they themselves at this moment in time can't see themselves here, can't see themselves serving God, they can't see themselves in that place. They know people that are and they want that connection with God. I remember a guy at work 20 years ago, a guy at work, I remember this story, his name was Andy. And uh, we, at that point, I worked in a, uh, an office with about 20 people. And most of the people were young, upwardly mobile professionals. We used to be called yuppies. Can you remember that name? Yuppies. Or dinkies. Double income, no kids yet. You remember that? So wealthy young people, wealthy young professionals. And I remember this guy, Andy, asking me one, one week, we were on a table, we were just sat together, we worked near each other, and he said, well, tell me, tell me what you, you do. Tell me your week. Tell me what you've done this last week. And, uh, and so I said, what do you mean? He said, well, just tell me your week. Tell me what you've done. I said, well, okay. And I'm thinking, this isn't very interesting. So I said, well, I went to church on Sunday, and that was great. I enjoyed that. Back then, we just had one service in the morning. And I said, then uh, in the week we had cell group. We used to call them cell groups back then. And that idea was not that because they were like prisons. That that idea was like cells in the body. You know, the church, the big church is the body and the cell is a small representative of the body. So I said, we had cell group. He said, well, tell me what you do in that cell group thing. I said, well, we pray for one another. We support one another. We find out what's happening in one another's worlds. We try and love one another, and we look at the Bible together. We, we do that. And he said, okay. And then I said, well, that was, I think, was Wednesday. And then I said, on Thursday, we had a leaders meeting. And uh, I said, that was great. Got a great group of leaders in our church, and they were around our house for a leaders meeting. And then I said, on, fr- on Friday, then I had a, a, you know, some, somebody down around to her house, and we just had a meal together. And he said this, he said this at the top of his voice. He said, you have got the best life out of all of us. This was a room full of young professional people, yuppies and dinkies, you know. They were partying every weekend and all that entailed. They thought they were living the dream. And he said, you've got the best life out of all of us. And it got me thinking, 
How many Christians envy the world? How many of us envy and think we're missing out on something that people have got? And then I thought, how many of us miss and, and we, we miss out on everything God has for us because we abandon those regular practices of worship and being in God's word? Peter's vision was that as we practice the way of vision, uh, the way of Jesus, we would reflect his glory. And the band are going to come back as I, the last two. The <clears throat> fourth one is start somewhere. That's easy for you. Just start somewhere. So, some years ago, I read a book called Meals with Jesus. And, and basically, it, it's based on two verses from the Gospel of Luke. The first verse says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And then the second verse the book's based on says Jesus came eating and drinking. And the book makes the argument, so what did Jesus want to do? Seek and save the lost. How did he do it? Eating and drinking. And the book made the point that maybe you can do that. Maybe you could invite a friend from work for a meal at your house. Maybe you could invite a neighbor for a meal at your house. Maybe you could have coffee with a neighbor or you could do something like that. But you might be here today and you think, well, that's the last thing I want to do. I don't want my neighbors in my house. I don't want somebody from work. In my, that, that's not the way I'm wired. That's the last thing I can do. My point is, start somewhere easy for you. There's some people in our church who decided to just give gifts to their neighbors at certain times of the year just to have a relationship. There's other people who have decided when people move into a new house on their estate or a new person moves into a house on their estate, they'll send them, give them a card and welcome them as a friendly neighbor. You find something that's easy for you. Don't compare and you know, get disappointed you're not somebody else. It's the same with prayer, spending time with God. You start somewhere easy for you. That might be washing the dinners, driving the car, whatever. But you don't compare. You know, I, over the years, I've, I've developed, I'm a systematic person. So I have developed a routine for prayer. I have never shared this before, but over the years I've developed this routine. I've shared little bits. So I have this routine of six things that I do in prayer. The first is I read Jesus. So I'll read something from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, just a little bit of Jesus. And then I have what I've called reflective prayer, where I will reflect on what I've read or I'll reflect on the previous day and I'll just be thankful to God and I'll reflect and pray about what I've read. The third thing to do is I read a psalm. I read a psalm every day or if it's a huge psalm, like Psalm 78 or Psalm 119 that has 150 verses, I'll read a bit of a psalm, but I read something from the psalms. And then there are loads of prayers in the Bibles, loads of scriptures that actually other people pray. And so I actually have one of those and I will pray that prayer back to God. That will be the fourth thing. Then the fifth thing I do is I've got daily confessions. I've got 12 daily confessions that I say over my life. Like one of them is today, I will see the goodness of God. What a great thing to say over your life every day, you know. I've got some others like today I will have an excellent spirit and I will bring my best. I've got 12 confessions I just speak of my life. I feel I'm being a bit tight with 12. I feel I should expand it. I'm going to pray about it and see what other things I should say over my life. And then the last thing, the sixth thing is open prayer where I'll pray about 
anything. Please don't copy that. Well, you can if you want, because I think it's amazing. And, you know, it really helps me. But it works for me. But when I came out of hospital 18 months ago, I couldn't do it because my mind didn't work. I couldn't concentrate. And so I'm thinking, well, what do I do? Like my prayer life's just gone terrible. Like in comparison, what do I do? The only thing I could do was read Jesus. So I started again reading Jesus every day. And it's taken over 18 months for me to get back to a place where I can follow that pattern of prayer that I developed in my life. But start somewhere easy for you. And the final thing is be on the lookout for interruptions. I've said it already, I'm a scheduled person and I don't, I'm not good at interruptions. So I, I'm doing this, then I'm doing that. When I finish this, I'm on the way to that. You know, I'm very scheduled in my life. But most miracles that Jesus did happened as interruptions. They happened because somebody came screaming at him or he bumped into this woman at a well or this soldier stopped him on the road. Somebody sent a servant to him. A woman came out of the crowd and grabbed hold of his garment. They happened as interruptions. And I just want to say to us, be on the lookout for interruptions. Because some interruptions will be an opportunity for you to pray and for you to invite God into that situation in somebody's life. God has called you. He calls all of us. Come follow me. And He's called us to be fishers of men. We're not called to be anything else but to be fishers of men, which means you're up. And Jesus wants to say to you and to me and to Icon Church today, you're up. You freely received. Now give in Jesus' name. What you've received, give to others. I want to close by reading a Church IC statement. We've created Church IC statements each week in this series. And so this is the final one. The Church IC loves God, loves people and loves life. That's one of my 12 confessions, by the way. In one of my, I will say, I love God, I love people, I love life. She, she follows, that's the church, she follows Jesus to be with Him, to become like Him and also to do what He does. We are constant learners, devoting ourselves to His teaching. We are continual worshippers, devoted to His presence. And we are cheerful givers. <laughs> Thank you for giving in that offering today. And if you, if you haven't done so already, you know, be a cheerful giver. And think about others in that giving. We are givers of time, talent and treasure in order that the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. We say in Chesterfield, as it is in heaven. In Derby, as it is in heaven. In Sheffield, as it is in heaven. In Sutton, as it is in heaven. In London, as it is in heaven. Wherever people are, as it is in heaven. We go because He sends. The church I see is our church, Icon Church. And we're up. It's our time. Why don't we stand to our feet? I'm going to pray. Yeah, come on. Let's thank God for His Word this morning. Let's stand in Derby, stand in Sheffield. We're gonna, I'm just going to pray and then the worship team are going to lead us. Father, send us out full of the Holy Spirit. We feel like Matthew. We haven't got it all together. We're inadequate. How can we do what you do? 
we can keep learning, we can keep growing, we can keep changing, we can keep following You, we can keep doing and opening our hearts to the stuff that You do in our lives. And we pray that You this week will rub off on others from us the stuff You've done within us. In this moment, refresh us, renew us, fill us with Your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill the congregation in Sheffield, fill the congregation in Derby, fill the people watching online, fill everybody who's heard this message here in Chesterfield. Fill us with Your Holy Spirit, that we will go empowered this week to do what You do in our workplaces, in our families and where we live. And we ask it in Jesus' Name. And everyone said, Amen. Come on, church, let's worship God together.